Can you hear me, Kimmy? Can you? I can't hear. Can you really? hear me? I can hear you. No. Hmm. How'd you fix it before? Oh, she can't hear. Can you guys hear each other, please? Yes. Can you? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. I can't hear either one of you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me, Kimmy? Lex, can you help me? Oh, never mind. You look so beautiful. I'm singing to you. You're lucky you can't hear it. Oh, no, you can, you asshole. <laughs> it was, um, Somehow it was I on... can tell when you could hear my screech. <laughs> that was a real, real technological fix because I was on mute on the keyboard. Not me, you were on mute. I'm like, yeah. love you. Love you too. Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Thank you for taking a seat at the table. Today we have special guest Carrie Cariello. She's going to be talking about her son Jack and his introduction to adulthood and what he's doing for school now that he's 18 and graduated high school. With me, I have Rachel. Hey, everybody. Tabitha. Hello. Jamie. Hello. Jen. Hi, everyone. Carrie. Hello. Hello. And I'm Kim McIsaac. So Carrie, do you want to start by just introducing yourself? Thank you for having me. It's been a little bit of a, you know, we had some scheduling issues on my end to get here. So I'm thrilled to be part of this. I'm Carrie Cariello. I'm a blogger and an author, a mom of five, wife of one. I say that because I'm all about seeking sister wife now. So I want to clarify that I'm, <laughs> it's just one here. I also discovered this other show called Polyamorous. And when oh. you actually see my watch list, you would think I'm really like, I, I'm unusual, but I'm just really fascinated by these shows. I'm anyway. like, do you do dishes and stay up all night with my sleepless kids? I love that. I'm just wondering. What is your that role show. here? Seeking sister wives. I've been watching that too. It's that it is fascinating. <laughs> it's the hierarchy. I want to know more about the hierarchy. There's no way. I'm a fairly I wouldn't consider I'm I'm 47. I've been married. It'll be 24 years this month. Yeah, good job. You know, I'm pretty secure in my marriage, but I also don't want another, I don't want a 20-year-old barreling in here, like <laughs> around. So that fascinates me. So I'm a wife to one, mama five, and my second son, Jack, our second son, Jack, is diagnosed with autism. I almost said tested positive for COVID because that's where oh. my mind is at because we're having some COVID scares. He does not have COVID. He does definitely have autism though. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack is 18 and he did graduate high school in May, which was not a guarantee by any means. And he's now at a college type program a few hours from us. Do you want to give a little bit of background on Jack? Maybe just a little bit about what led you to seek a diagnosis. Sure. So Jack was diagnosed way back in 2005, which was really on the cusp, as I say, of this autism bubble that kind of, I think, exploded a little bit. And he was 18 months old. I always tell people Jack was born with an IEP in his hand. He was born with a diagnosis, simply the way our story is. I had a son just about a year older than him. I was able to say, wow, Joey like was playing peekaboo by this point and Jack has no interest in us. Mm -hmm. It was really his level of detachment from our family unit that led us to seek services. That and something that 
wound up being not as significant later on in life, but as a baby, when it was time for him to start solid food, he could not manage solid food at all. Could not get something from the front of his mouth to the back of his mouth. And I just remember saying that to the pediatrician and her saying, I think it's time for some early intervention. And that kind of got the ball rolling. Now, way back when, and I have no reference point, maybe it's the same now, we were living in Buffalo, New York, and we would call for these appointments and they'd say, we have something open in six months. And I was like, six months, this is going to be over with by then. You know, we were so naive. We thought, oh, gosh, we'll be just fine by then. It's not a lifelong diagnosis. I think the waiting list are even longer now. I, think I, don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's improved. <laughs> I think yeah, it's gotten worse. And they don't even tell you the time. They just say, we'll send you the paperwork. When we get it back, we'll get you scheduled as soon as we can. Oh it is, that was really, that waiting period is really difficult. And so, yeah, so he was diagnosed. I can't say it was a huge surprise. By that point, we'd done our own legwork and homework at home. And he was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. So we since have moved to New Hampshire. We moved here when Jack was three. And we're able to get him into an integrated preschool here pretty quickly. And yeah, it's been quite a journey, as I know all you moms understand. It's so interesting to hear your story, Carrie, for us, because, well, some of us, because I have a seven-year-old. It's cool to watch the way that Jack communicates through text. It's amazing to hear him speak and like how his language is different and yet the same via text. Like he's drilling you and needing all the things right away. It's, but it's fascinating because I feel like for many of us, it's a look into the future. And I appreciate that so much. The, the light that you're shining on later on in the path for many of us, is huge. Thank you. You know, I've said before that when I was a young mom, like all of you are, I'm quite a bit older and further down. I always wanted that old mom. I mean, I, that's what I called this fictional person, an old mom. I hope nobody's calling me that, but it is true. <laughs> we have a couple of old moms here. Now I think it's um, veteran moms is how we're that. I'm going to re-identify as a veteran mom. Yeah. It's but- great for us who, like for me, my daughter Nora, who's autistic, is three and a half. And then my son is six, who is also autistic. And so seeing not only uh, older boys, which I think Nixon and Jack are similar in the way that they view the world, but also older girls, which at this table, there are, you know, Kim's daughter's 25. Jen has an older daughter you know, just learning from people who came before is so helpful. It's really helpful. <laughs> Thank God for the internet. <laughs> really. Really. I'm glad to hear that. It is, um, it's a pleasure to share our story, but it really, when I see other people find themselves in it, that's very like rewarding. And I'm always deeply honored by that. And yeah, I always wanted that crystal ball, which does unfortunately doesn't exist. And I wrote a little bit this week about maybe it's a good thing because we would focus so much on the outcome. Mm-hmm. I this is, and aside from autism, but I'm really trying to do some work personally and not getting so attached to outcomes. I talked about that on my live. I'm a person who figured out how the ending was going to look and then sort of worked my way towards that, whether positive or negative. I tell a story about how we were, my husband and I were invited to a party a few weeks ago and his mother was really sick. And I thought, I know how this is going to go. He's going to go. Maybe he'll have a couple of drinks. I'm going to wind up driving him home. This isn't the night I wanted. I don't know if I want to go to this party. And then I become so attached to that, that I almost in some ways maneuver the universe to make it happen instead. And this was really hard for me. It's hard work. I said, no, I have a really nice dress to wear. I want to dance with my husband. I like all the people at this party. I like to eat good food. 
And then I verbalized it to my husband. This is how, what I would like the night to be. And that's exactly what it turned out being. So I know we don't necessarily direct the future, but I do think mindset plays a huge role. And I was talking to a group of moms much younger saying, it's so easy. I hear this a lot to get caught in the outcome control of he's never going to make it through camp. This school change is going to be terrible for all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of anxiety around academics, right? And so you almost kind of draw your own pathway when you become so committed to that future. The good is there. You'll see the hard stuff because that's what you've been keyed up for, you know? Yeah, right. They say the human brain, what it makes an immediate assumption, whether about people or circumstances. And then what it does is it seeks evidence to support that assumption. So maybe you meet somebody for the first time in the grocery store and you think she's standoffish and a snot. Immediately you start to categorize or catalog all the ways that supports your hypothesis. Her posture looks weird. She has a very expensive ring on. She's her tone of voice is really condescending and you build up your own thought process, your own echo chamber in a way. I was listening to that live and I was like, wow, like this is so true because I have such a negative mindset sometimes. (laughs) Just like, I just feel like I just see the worst case scenario first. And my husband's always like, why do you think of the worst? And it's just like with the way my brain works, because it's like, that's just what I see. And sometimes I can work my way up to the positive, but I always start with like, worst thing that could possibly happen and it's so true because then then you're like see I knew I knew this wasn't gonna work or like when you were talking I was like oh my goodness this is she's talking to me (laughs) yes I like I say it in my mind sometimes because it's it's so easy to be negative you know I feel like it's so easy to default onto that and especially Mm -hmm. you know we live really hard lives sometimes some of us and um and it's like you're always just waiting for that shoe to drop but there was a couple other things that you were talking about too that um that coach was saying, and I'm like, this is a really smart lady. (laughs) And the phrase is neuroplastic. So your brain, it's really reaching your brain and and it is a muscle. It's like the willpower is a muscle. All sorts of things just require doing it more and more often. And the other thing I'm trying to work on is how else can I look at this? I'll give you an example. I'm sure my brother won't listen to this podcast because he was driving me crazy leading up to my mother-in-law services and just driving me crazy. So I, I had to take a minute and say, how else could I look at this? I could look at it as it's no big deal. I could look at it as he's coming from a good place. I could consider the angle that he's also anxious, trying to figure out how to support me. It, you may circle back to the exact same starting point. It's possible. I sort of did. However, I just forced myself to take a minute and consider other angles. It doesn't mean I have to believe them or buy into them. But that alone is stretching your brain to do different kinds of work. I think uh, when we, we all had the opportunity to see you do a talk at the Mother's Brunch. Oh, yeah. And I wrote down this, like, struck me so hard as a mom early in this journey. You said autism is riddled with contradictions. And I think that that plays into our mindset, right? Sometimes we expect our kids to be able to do the same thing they were able to do the day before. And the expectation is that they'll still be able to do that the next day, or that school is going to be this one thing and it goes completely haywire. But the idea that you just accept the fact that everything is not always going to be the same in your mindset can make a huge difference for your approach on expectations or like Mm -hmm. where you're leading in your brain for the day, the next day, or 
when something does go right, okay, well, maybe tomorrow will be better. <laughs> Let's not go into this with a negative idea that everything's going to be terrible. And sometimes things are not great and you just have to like ride the wave, but also that it's ever flowing. And that's with anything, not just with autism. I mean, life is riddled with contradictions. Like sometimes you just feel like life should be going one way and you get hit with all these things that challenges and your mindset really can get you through that, I think, especially for us who are new to this journey. So I loved that, by the way, Thank as you. we were all weeping in the, <laughs> in the crying. table of yes. left. Yes. yes, all of us. <laughs> it was the table of tears, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it was, we it was a beautiful there. event. It was a beautiful event. I, I read somewhere that the brain is lousy at prediction. The human brain's not wired for it. The human brain bases behavior and choices on the day before. So it's a very habitual reactor, if you will, like what felt good the day before is what we want to do today. And that's how habits get formed. And I do think, you know, I spent so much of Jack's childhood seeing him only through the lens of autism mm -hmm. and missing the fact that my neurotypical thinkers, if I really even have one in this house, I'm not sure, but the people without the diagnosis also <laughs> behaved very inconsistently, also could do a task one day that they simply couldn't or refused to do the next day. So that's been my next season here as he's off on his own journey to say, what is typical college kid behavior? What is autism behavior? What is a, an adolescent with a fairly still young brain and heart behavior? And kind of sifting through that, you know, my husband got so... I'm, I'm sure we're getting ahead of ourselves because I haven't talked at all about Jack's program, but Jack's grandmother passed away and he decided he wanted to take the bus home like at all. He was taking that bus home and he ordered his ticket. He went online and did a round trip ticket and it was like $34 one way, 43 the other. I'm paraphrasing. But the Uber to the bus station was $40. And so my husband was like, ah, now he doesn't know, you know, the cost of money. I'm like, but that's a typical college kid thing to do. Like, oh, it's $40. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, right. An Uber, yeah. In an Uber. And so never mind, like it was six blocks away. I don't know how, I don't know what happened with that. Some I have to look into that more. But you know, we're still navigating that that territory to see what Jack is choosing to do, what he's capable to do, and what he's is simply out of his reach right now. One of my favorite examples of that that you brought to your page, Carrie, was the umbrella that he purchased when yeah, I think it was like a week or two into school and he had walked to the wall two days or two days, two days. <laughs> hey, yeah and he had gotten there he had checked his weather app he's you know like trying to adult and like take ownership of the things and what will I be facing this week and how can I navigate it and then he got the gold-plated umbrella or whatever from the wall. <laughs> but I just cried when I read about it because the thought that goes into it, the execution of realizing that tomorrow is going to rain. This is what I need. This is what I don't have. I mean, what a win. It's also like a $40 umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, but it's controlling what Jack can control. And that's what I have right. to remember. Yeah. So he felt out of control on a few fronts that, that day, I'm sure. And he thought, let me control what I can. And, you know, we talked about a budget just like we did with my oldest before college. And this is their money. This is all Jack's money. Yeah. So I'm sort of treading lightly. And he decided on $100 a week. To back up, we do have guardianship of Jack. And that was quite a process that was really 
really difficult for us. There's a lot of this stuff I could be managing for him based on the guardianship paperwork, you know, his medication. Truly, I'm pretty much in charge of that. And yet he's the one, he found the closest Walgreens. He changed the address in the health portal. He just texted me to let me know he messaged the doctor because when he only has a couple of pills left, he has to give a heads up for this one medication he's on. So I'm trying to give him as long of a like stretch as he can. And he's going to make mistakes. Yeah. And they all do. All my kids do, you know? So can you quickly like summarize like his high school experiences? I know that Jack was able to get a job and I think that people are very interested in that. I love hearing those stories. Did you go back a little further though? Cause he had some hard elementary years, didn't he? Middle, right? Really hard. I would say anxiety in first grade was our first like woke up moment, woke moment. I'm too old to say that. It was <laughs> when we, our eyes were open, things were not going so smoothly. <laughs> first grade, tremendous crushing anxiety that led us to some medication. And so first grade was almost a washout for him because he could, he just really didn't take in much information at all. The rest of this elementary school year settled down, but sixth grade, that perfect storm of puberty, the changing social landscape in, we call sixth grade middle school here. I know it's different for everybody, but that changing social landscape, his, he, he really had no friends. We had some evaluations done that uncovered he was learning at maybe a second grade level, but this is in sixth grade. And I remember the evaluator, the doctor said, this is like everybody else around you speaking French, but you only speak two or three words. And he's frustrated. He knows everybody else speaks French and he doesn't. He's aggravated. He's overwhelmed. He's really out of sorts. And then you add in puberty on top of that. Mm. And his body was changing in hormones. And so we wound up getting an out of district referral in sixth grade, the end of sixth grade, which is pretty difficult to do. And he became a little aggressive I I mean, I say a little, but really he became aggressive. He bit a teacher. He kicked another teacher. He talked about knives. He talked about making it all go away. It was a really tender time in our family because I remember Joe and I hiding the knives really up high and just like just trying to keep his spirit and his body safe. So we wound up getting this out of district referral. So for the remainder, sixth or senior year, he was in high school in a very small setting. There were eight kids total in his program with four adults. And it was eight kids. Yeah, it was really small. We toyed with the idea of bringing him back to our home district school, which was really large. And so there seemed, it was sort of like Goldilocks. There was no perfect setting but he was settled there. They understood him. And the important thing was he was learning. Yeah. So he came out with a modified high school degree. He didn't do any SATs or anything like that, but he did achieve a, a high school diploma. I think that in the end, he needed somewhere to go. We kind of liken it to cocooning. Like he felt so out of control in sixth grade emotionally. He needed to go somewhere small and safe. Uh, where he could regulate again, because research shows us when we're deregulated, we do not take in information. If our nervous system is elevated, I remind myself that all the time when my husband gets mad that I think now's the time to really tell him how I feel yeah. and change about the situation. <laughs> uh, time and time You again, be careful. The sister wife might out you. She he might forget, it. but she might remember you. Be careful. They're young. These young people, they get it. (laughs) They're not old school. They haven't been through, you know, 24 years of married fights. 
like next level. No, we're we, we're past dishes and stuff. That now we just want to break each other. Like yeah, and a newbie that's so different. So <laughs> I agree. But even now, you know, when people enter fight or flight, they do not. There, somebody explained it to me. I just loved this fight or flight leaves no room for empathy or compassion because mm-hmm. in your brain you're actually fighting off like a tiger that's how elevated you are you can't stop and feel sorry for the tiger you can't think he's cute you can't wonder if he's going to be okay at the end of the day you have to be all systems go push this tiger out jack still lives probably 70 percent in the tiger arena in fight or flight all the time. His nervous system just runs at like an 11. And it's a reminder for me that there's, we are what we call circle backers. So we circle back to whatever triggered everybody. And then we have the the conversation after the conversation. And that's the only way change happens in our family. Mm -hmm. Um, It took me, oh, I've been married 24 years, 23 and a half to learn that. (laughs) But I'm getting really bad at it. It's a new skill. It's a new skill, shiny. (laughs) So so that was Jack's high school. We spent probably eight months of his senior year desperately trying to find somewhere for him to go after senior year because- And he had the expectation that his brother, he had watched his brother go. So like, that's what you do. That's what you do. That's the trajectory you follow. Now he could have, a lot of readers ask me, could he have stayed for until 21 in high school? He certainly could have. I think we were faced with either moving him back to the homeschool, which is hundreds and hundreds of kids that he no longer knows, or keeping him in this very tiny environment. And Jack doesn't drive. We live in New Hampshire. A couple of readers had said to me, couldn't he go to community college, take one or two classes there? Uh, He could have, but I'm going to be really honest. I would have spent my days driving Jack back and forth, which wouldn't have worked for either of us. If he had stayed at the high school until 21, he, he would have had two other siblings graduate before him. And that would not have been good for him emotionally. He would have, he would have noticed that. He notices things, right? Mm-hmm. But I woke up one day, as is very likely for me, and thought, oh my God, on May 11th, every service jacket stops. Yeah. So this is a kid since he was three, was in school pretty much year round. His high school was year round. He only got a week, two weeks, maybe in the beginning of the summer and maybe a few days at the end. And I was like, that's me all over. You know, that could have been those, I could have really like cerebrally known that for months, but it takes me like a wake up moment where I'm like, oh my God, how did I miss that paperwork? What am I going to do with this kid? Because I don't know how your kiddos are, but Jack has a hard time finding purpose and meaning in the house without any structure. I can leave him alone. I could have, I could have probably left him alone by the time he moved for four hours, but he would have done nothing for those four hours except text me or change the light bulbs or organize the Christmas ornaments, all good things, but not at 18 what I wanted for him. So we spent a lot of time researching programs and I just kept coming up against wall after wall. And it was a really stark realization that there's not much out there for kids like Jack. And once you do identify, well, this program's really going to work for him. It's a great fit. There's maybe five spots in it. Mm-mm. And it was this balancing act of selling him, right? I became a salesperson. Oh. Like 
He definitely has autism. He's got autism. It's no question. It's diagnosed. It is not that bad. He's social, but he needs help. But he needs a scaffolding. And yes, he has medicine. It's not that much medication. I mean, we all take medication. Like it became this high wire act. And then, you know, for my oldest son, we had to submit. Well, he had, he took care of it, but right, SAT scores or whatever thing. I'm submitting psych reports. I had to get him a psych evaluation. It was really mm-hmm. eye-opening to the widening chasm between Jack and not Jack. Mm-hmm. And we identified it was three programs we came down to. Now, granted, we wanted him in a certain geographical sphere and not maybe other people won't have that same requirement. We wanted to be able to get to him in a day if we could. And uh, yeah, and although now he's taking the bus, like what the heck, he could be anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, we had two rejections. And then this one where he is really was our first choice to begin with, Mm. you know, but layered on top of that. And I haven't figured out a great way to blog about this yet. I'm working on it, but it's the financial component. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly expensive. So he's in a residential program that has all pretty much full-time staff support. They're there from 7 a.m. to 11 at night. And he has access to life coaches and academic coaches and social coaching programs. It's 80 grand a year. Yeah. Mm. And that doesn't include any, he's going to audit two college classes come September. I didn't even tell, I call my husband painless because he's a dentist and his license plate says painless, or we call him the patriarch. I've not brought up to painless yet. Like, so tuition. (laughs) You're like, honey, can you get the mail today? I just won't be home. I'm not going to be, I hope in your COVID haze, you just (laughs) because slip it under the door. I told you, don't you remember? I told you that. (laughs) Yeah, wait till he's in fight or flight and his brain is mush and then put it on his desk. Yes. Put it on his desk and then run. (laughs) You know, I don't want the conversation to turn into a referendum about what Joe and Carrie make or don't make as income. My husband works really hard. He's a dentist and it, it, we can do it for now, but we can't do this forever. And really the bigger conversation <laughs> is it's not accessible to many people. Right. right. Yes. So there's nothing you have to pay everything out of pocket. There's no help for you guys from any, like from the state or anything like that. No. So my oldest, you know, if we couldn't, couldn't make it for him, he's also in college, we could say, well, you can take out a student loan, or we'll file for financial aid, there's other avenues. Now, this one I'm working with, so we're in New Hampshire, I'm working with New Hampshire vocational rehabilitation to see if they'll contribute. They typically contribute towards tuition, but they don't contribute towards like a living arrangement, which is really the bulk of Jack's expense. Right. My argument to them is this is a kid you want to invest in. This is a Mm -hmm. kid who you don't want in four years when I can't provide or when I'm gone and I can't provide, he will live off the state. Yeah. And then hundreds of thousands that year. It's a thousands. My other kids, if we said to him, them, we just didn't, we don't have enough. We tried and we don't, they would figure out a way to get an education. And there's lots of other means for them. So it's kind of this maddening argument. And I've, you know, we're meeting again next week and we're meeting with the commissioner of education. And I'm, I'm grateful to have all these people in front of me who are listening, but I don't know how to change the game. Yeah, I know. I know because well, we, where we live. So I live in Massachusetts and right. my daughter turned 22 four years ago. She's 26 now. And so she goes to a day program. It's a day hab and it's fine. I mean, it's a place that she can go and have the structure and she's supervised and they do activities, but that's all it is. Do you know what I mean? There's no therapies. There's no 
there's nothing helping her reach a potential of any sort. It's just kind of, and that's, that's the only option. There's other options for maybe people in different areas of the spectrum that would be job vocation or, you know, housing, but she, she's not in that population. She's in a very different population. And there's just, I mean, I was just flabbergasted. Like I couldn't even believe it like when we went through it and and some of the places I went to were I mean they were like it was like a nursing home but with younger people like literally that's what it felt like it was very disheartening and it's very shocking like there's so many people on the spectrum there's so many children that have been diagnosed in the past 20 years it's like where are they all supposed to go that's really the thing like we all know so deeply that this is a lifelong condition and like to have so much support from the point of diagnosis to, or uh, uh, so much available support, maybe not accessible support, but it's available until a certain age and then it drops off. But we all know that our children learn later or it takes them a different pace. And so what my daughter's capable of at 20 might be what someone's capable of at 12 and she could have all this extra learning time and she can yeah. there's no access. My you daughter know, started saying words at 22. I mean, she 22. never spoke. 22 she started saying words so it's like I mean she's not communicative as in a conversation but like she she can say words like she couldn't couldn't even say sounds at 10 or 12 like so it's like her learning has like exploded since she's been an adult but there's nothing to help her along which is just and I know that's not the case for everybody but it, it's still it's just it's so crazy to me and a caseworker said to me she goes you know they're adults you're adult a lot longer in your lifespan than you're a child so the fact that there's not access to doctors that specialize for adults, children, yes, yeah. but not, not for adults, like all these services that like Rachel was just saying that are available to our children and waiver programs that are available to our children. It's like, they turn adults and it's like, I don't, you know, and they just pick an age. Like my daughter's on an age. Yes. She's 26, but that's just, that means nothing. That's nothing to describe like where she is cognitively, socially, anything, you know? So it's like, they just pick this random age that like, means nothing if you're you know for some obviously I know Jack is different but you know for her and a lot of others like her it doesn't mean anything so for them to just to pick this random age to like cut everything off it's just I mean I just think it's they've gotten away with it for so long so it's like well I've always said you know there's always this resistance when they're younger um to even be able to access like Rachel said access the help and everyone preaches early intervention but it's like you said Carrie if if we're not getting help with the services available to our children at this age, then they are just going to be a drain on the system. I mean, that is the reality of it at the end of the day. So it's a, it's a scary thought. I think we all need a big loud voice and stand shoulder to shoulder from coast to coast and talk about it because my daughter is going to cost an awful lot at a place when we're gone every single day. I mean, that's what it is. The very first piece I wrote, I said, I'm not saving for a college education for my daughter. I'm saving for a home for when I'm gone. I was like, I know know. it's the truth. Well, and Carrie, I have to tell you that every day, every day I was watching to see what was happening with Jack in these, in these programs. And every day I was just holding my breath and Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how, and I know there's so many others were so happy when you guys found a place for him because I just adore Jack. I no. smile every time I go on and see his messages. I mean, I don't know. He just, 
he always can put a smile on my face so because yes. I can just so picture it like I can just so I can just so see him as you're writing you know about the yeah. Savoy drawer or like whatever it is and he, he seems like a really great thing he can be I mean he's we certainly yeah sometimes I'm worried I'm over posting right about his every day and I but people seem we just pulled everybody actually you don't over yes okay. you, wait on <laughs> yeah. for your lives. you don't it's, I just hold the entire world yeah. okay good to know yeah. because Great. it's real everything and and you know we certainly had our stumbling we've had a few stumbling blocks socially he's working through some social I I said at one point I knew he could do his laundry I knew he could cook that all of that was like check the box can he connect with people you know he is a person who if he feels slighted in any way in any kind of injustice he gets incredibly defensive and that's it. It's almost like dead to me sort of person. Mm-hmm. And he's exhibited that a few times, but come back around and said, oh, I, I did talk to her. She's not so bad. But this is the benefit of having people right there who have mm-hmm. seen yes. everything. Like I've, I emailed one of the, I've really not emailed a lot, but his team leader and said, just to remind you, I know we talked about this, but this is sort of his temperament. Once burned, you know, he will never be burned again type of thing. And the breeziness with what she responded with, it was like, oh, it's completely developmentally accurate. I've, we've seen it all. We've seen this dynamic over and over. Yes, they all police each other in the beginning. Yes, they do that. We had it. I don't can't remember. I talked about it. I didn't write about it, but we had a, t- a moment because Jack has a hard time with the they concept, right? So there's a few people in his program that identify as they, and they had a time where they called them all up to enter their emails into the computer. And I know exactly what happened. Jack, six foot five, bombed to be up there first, because that's consistent with Jack. And the person behind him said, hey, what happened to ladies first? And he got, oh my God, he was so upset with this person. And then it turns out she identifies as a they, which is fine. But he does say, then he's saying she's not even a lady. She's okay. So then this is like thread after thread of text to me. And I'm getting like, just tired of it all. And he's saying, I talked to their roommate. She said they had a bad day. I'm still getting used to they. To me, they is still plural, right? So I write, okay, give her some grace. And he writes back, that's their name. And I said, enough, Jack, like I've had enough. He goes, no, their name is Grace. (laughs) 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 I wanted to like blow my head off. Who's on first? Yes. (laughs) It's like a sitcom. It's so confusing. (laughs) So in normal Jack, like sitting here in New Hampshire, that would have been it. He would have perseverated. If they even dared to talk to him about it again, and these people managed to help him repair. And now are they best friends? No, but I think they can like coexist just fine. So I'm seeing him be able to rupture and repair, which That's is growth. this movement forward for him. That's awesome. So yeah. I'm, so what's his like day to day like in the program? I know you said he has access to life coaches and is he mostly working on like life skills and stuff like that? What does he do in a normal day in the program? So they, they just enrolled him in courses at a nearby college that he'll start in September. He'll start with two. For, we were a little worried maybe summer would be too much time on his hands. They did start some classes. They're not academics. They're more about like how to have a healthy campus relationship, how to coexist, how to live safely in a city environment. So that takes up like two hours of his day. 
they have, it's 44 students living here. And so they broke them up into teams. So they have a team meeting every day to talk about are, are the chores getting done? You know, they're in a suite. He has two, his one roommate and then a suite mate who has a single. And then otherwise he has a lot, they do an activity, like an outing every day. Like they did an escape room. They might go to the farmer's market. If he sees optional next to it, it's an automatic no. So we're trying to encourage him that it doesn't have to say mandatory for you to go. <laughs> I mean, this is a kid. I can't emphasize this enough. Kind of a jack. <laughs> you'll have to keep me. You'll have to keep my feedback. Like, tell me because I I hope I'm expressing enough what he was like last year versus who he is now. Like, this is a kid three years ago held my hand in the parking lot, and the other day he said, "I'm at the mall." <laughs> And I said, what mall? How did you get there? Was it an accident? <laughs> yeah, he took the bus. He's already figured it. out the bus system within this city, not only the Greyhound home, but the bus system within this city. And his grandmother passed and it, she'd been sick for about five months. He knew it was very emotional that the last time he saw her would be the last, likely the last time. So he was upset when we called, but I wasn't worried, like we're not there, you know, but I didn't think, oh, we'll just throw him on a bus. His grandmother just died. Like, get yourself home. Like we were fully prepared to go pick him up. And he, he was determined to see this piece of independence for himself. The other thing I thought was fascinating is when he texted us, he said, how long do I have to come home for? So that's awesome. It was amazing. Wow. And now, think about how different that was from like leaving for camp. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh, that program yeah. last year. And he has a week off at the end of August. And he's already saying, I don't think it's worth it for me to come home. Oh, oh. oh, oh we had like a three-day trip planned to Maine because we it is very I, I, hard to get all seven of us together it's it, it's really rare now and that was one of them everybody took off of work for these two nights in Maine he starts actual college orientation so the school that he's chosen like midway through he said I don't think it's worth coming home mm. but I think he's also like I spent my whole life waiting for those people yeah. waiting for them to take me to Dairy Queen waiting for them to take me to work I don't have to wait anymore oh. I can get on a bus and be where I want to be Oh, I think he couldn't wild. even visualize it first. I mean, how <laughs> I know. Well, I know a little bit about how like hard for you, like you, he's been your guy for 18 years and you've always taken care of him. And uh, at one point you imagine taking care of him forever. So how does it feel? Like, is it hard for you on one hand to like not have him there all the time and not have be responsible for everything in his life? For sure, it's a big hole as a mother because I spoke at some point about I didn't want my life to revolve around him. It's never how I planned it. It simply was. When you have a diagnosed child, your life revolves a little more around them. And yeah, it's been, I was numb for a little bit. And then really with Joe's mother, that sort of took up a lot of space for us. And in a way, people who don't have kids like ours might have a hard time understanding this, but I was grateful sort of he was there and his needs were being met. And I could commit more wholly and fully to what was in front of me at the time. When he came home, he was only home two nights. And it wasn't the circumstances where it was like, hey, we're all together. Let's do dinner. It was very somber. Then we, you know, everybody got COVID. <laughs> 15 of 30 people have COVID. Oh my goodness. 
30 it was 15 of 30 50 percent of the people i'm still standing look at me i'm like Harry. my husband's the youngest of six this family is 34 so not quite i think it's 34 and so 15 of them have covid oh and that's we didn't even poll like the hundred you know all the other people that we that showed up at these services out of town and whatnot, like the cousins and yeah, Jack, there's 20 kids in Joe's 20 cousins. So, oh my gosh, the care package sent by his cousins. I know his oh. cousins are really special people. They've really shown up for him and just showed That's that they amazing. believe in him. And he's the only diagnosed kid. It's not as if they, you know, were familiar with this from any of the others. Yeah. So I, when he was home, he was again at a 12, you know, our house is a little like, shh now I always say I should wear a blood pressure cuff for when Jack walks in the room, this <laughs> is not his fault. It mm-hmm. simply is who he and are together. I are, I always say, you know, he can only match the highest regulatory system in the room. And since his absence, I realized really, I was matching his all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like, trying to discover the space that I live in right now. Uh, I do get, you know, he was a huge part of our evening routine, dinner. He helped plan dinner. So I'm trying to get accustomed to a quieter household. And then my oldest, who's making so much noise in the background right now, that <laughs> I can't hear. <laughs> I need like a, flat, like a strobe light or something. You can't hear him. Okay, good. <laughs> So he goes back uh, the first week of September. So then I'll have only three kids at home. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And it is really- He's going to send some over. Yeah, I got I, I got some. Little... Oh, I love a little kid right now. <laughs> oh, she says that now. Okay, <laughs> we, would, we would like to thank you so much for coming on and sharing Jack's story. Amazing. He's so inspirational to so many people. I don't even think you realize the impact oh, that he yeah. has on on um, so many other people. And we would maybe love to have you back sometime and talk about this mental health component. I mean, I think these strategies <laughs> would be very helpful to so many of us. Yeah, me oh, included. <laughs> I love that. I have like a whole list. It's simply collection of what I've learned through my own therapeutic journeys and all the people I've come across. And, you know, I sort of, I have a notebook where I sort of put it all together. Cause I thought these are the things that have been my guiding lights mm-hmm. through my marriage and motherhood. Carrie, but- I'm not sure how much you hear this. I know you hear that Jack is changing the world and clearly he is, he darn sure is, but the way that you talk about being a Carrie outside of being a mom and mm. working on your mental health, the tools that you share, it matters deeply. Mm-hmm. I just don't want that glazed over. We are all very serious about your writing and your sharing and how much impact you've made. Yes. And we want you to know, we'd love all of you. If I could say your last name proper, confidently, I I, I would just say your whole troop. Carrie, Carrie. Um, in your book, What Colors Monday, you start, I think it's one of the first chapters. You're like, I can't marry you because then my name would be Carrie, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am 24 years into it. Every day I spell Looking for another Carrie to share them with. <laughs> the sister wife would definitely have to be a Carrie. She has to struggle the way I have, I feel. Carrie and Carrie. With a K, maybe. C maybe squared. With her. C squared. That's what my kids call me, C squared. I'm just letting you know the level of respect that runs through our house. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you everybody for listening. You can check um, Carrie out. Do you want to tell people where they can find you? Sure. I am at CarrieCarriello.com and on Facebook, I'm at What Color Is Monday and then Instagram. I'm pretty new to Instagram. Can't get any traction there for whatever reason, but, but that is Carrie underscore Carriello. 
Yeah. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of the Table for Five No Reservations podcast. Join us next Monday for more. And while you wait, make sure to check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you are enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen. To contact us, you can email us at tableforfivepodcasts at gmail.com. We can't wait to sit with you again. See you next time.